Hi, I'm Miranda Wright with HOWC Ministries. To learn more about our ministries, please visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com. We see people under the power of the anointing perform miracles. Praise God for it. Jesus did those miracles. God wants to build our faith for miracles. That's why we're studying the miracles. But let me tell you something. Jesus was not killed because of miracles. Jesus was killed because of what he was saying, because of the truth. Throughout history, there have been revivalists and evangelists that moved in great miracle signs and wonders. Not one of them was killed because of the miracles they performed. But there were a lot of reformers and reformationists that were killed because of what they were saying. The devil is not afraid of your manifestation. He's afraid of the truth. Because only the truth will set you free. Gifts have a purpose. They have a place. God gives us great authority and power, and he wants us to remember that. We've seen God do the miraculous. We've seen the demoniac delivered. We've seen the drug addicts delivered. We've seen instant healings and miracles and and tumors disappear. We've seen God do these impossible, miraculous things. Thank God for them. They do stir our faith. But really, those things are for the unbelieving. Those are not for the church. Jesus did miracles for people who didn't believe to know that What he was saying was something beyond what they had normally every day experienced. But when he talked to the Pharisees, he didn't perform miracles for them to the degree. What he really did was he showed them the truth of Scripture. In fact, he told them when they said, show us a sign, he said, I'm not going to give you a sign other than that of the prophet Jonah. What did Jonah do? We talked about it this morning in Sunday school. He went and he preached a short message. Judgment is coming. This nation is going to burn. Repent now that you might make that you might be saved. Jesus brought the word of God that had already been spoken, and he proved it with his life. He demonstrated it. In fact, in the Old Testament, whenever God called Israel to be his chosen people out in the wilderness, he spoke to them from Mount Horeb, the Ten Commandments, all those things. And they, they panicked. They said, no, 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 no. We don't want to hear directly from God. Send us a man. We, we, we'll listen to a man. No, they didn't intend to listen to a man. They just wanted to be able to continue in their sin and be able to say, well, who do you think you are? You're not God. But God actually obliged. He sent a man. He sent us Jesus. And Jesus spoke all the same truth that God was trying to release to them. Because from the beginning, God said, you will obey all of the laws and all of the commandments if you love God first others second, and put yourself last. And that's what Jesus came not only to preach, but to demonstrate all the way to the cross. And if we are willing to believe the truth and stop telling God, oh no, it's gonna, I'll, I'll listen to somebody else, send me another man, send me another man, send me another person. We already have Jesus. If we'll listen to what he came to teach us, then we will be freed, but we have to allow him to correct us. We have to be willing to lay down what we think is right, our pride, and realize that we don't know what's right. We need him to teach us what's right and submit to it. Today's lesson is about being thankful for correction. You know, there was a time when King David, whom God had chosen and appointed and anointed, but he sinned. He began to do things that were contrary to God's teachings. And God sent to him a prophet. Nathan came 
And he explained to him this grievous sin, but he did it kind of in a parable. And then David was like, oh my gosh, well, whoever did that, we're gonna, they deserve this judgment. And Nathan said, you're the man. And his heart was pricked. David took the correction. Now, David could have said off with his head, he was the king. He could have kept living like he wanted, and he would have burned in hell for all eternity and everyone who followed him. And he would have had to pay the price, not only for his own sin and rebellion, but for leading others into error also. We have to submit to the truth. It's not only for you, it's for those who follow you. Because we will all give an account for those who we influence. And we all influence somebody. Thank God for Nathan. Because David took the correction and he repented. It saved not only David, but a whole nation. Thank God that Nathan was willing because it's not always easy to administer correction because most people don't want to hear it and don't want to receive it. But if you love them, you will do it. Even if it, like Nathan, could have cost him his life. Like Jesus, it did cost him his life, but he was willing to bring us the truth because Jesus knows that only the truth will actually set you free. We deal with a lot of things in this ministry. We talked about authority this morning. We do a lot of deliverance. But I always try to help people to understand when a person comes for deliverance, and it's not that uncommon. In fact, every unsaved person goes through deliverance when they're saved. You have to go through deliverance because everybody has the wrong spirit until you let it die and receive the Holy Spirit of God. That's deliverance. Some people's is more obvious because of things they've been involved with. But when it comes to deliverance, the function that we administer is really only to move in word of knowledge, to call out things that you're in agreement with so that you have the opportunity to renounce or break agreement with it. You have to surrender and submit to the truth in order to be set free. Now, in deliverance ministry, because of the authority and the anointing, many times there is a manifestation that will help the person to realize that this was worse than they thought, and they weren't just deceived, but there was actually demons involved in these things. So it helps them to realize how much they really need to break agreement with these things. But we can cast demons out of people all day long. If that's all you do, you've done it wrong. Because when they leave, those things are coming back stronger than they were before. They have to be taught the truth so that they can continue to resist. You can rebuke, but the person must resist. Right? Jesus, the Bible tells us that if you resist the devil, he will flee from you. Surrender, submit yourself, submit yourself to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. So we have to come into the truth. We have to submit to it. We have to surrender to it daily, and that's how we resist the devil. Jesus gives us this demonstration in his time in the wilderness. The devil comes and tempts him with things, and Jesus says, no, it is written. He resists the devil, and then the devil leaves, and he comes out in the power of the Holy Spirit. God entrusts to him greater authority and greater anointing to go out and do the work of the kingdom because he has proved that he will not follow the error or the leading of the, of the enemy. He does the same thing with us. He tests us continually. Can he trust you with greater giftings? Are you submitted to the truth of Jesus? The Bible tells us that Jesus learned obedience through the things that he suffered. That's how we all learn it, through correction. We have a lot of children in the church. We have a few parents. So I'm going to speak to all of you today. 
Correction is love. If you do not correct your children, you do not love them. And for those in ministry, if you're not willing to correct those under you because you're afraid that they won't like you or that you'll get in trouble for it, then it's selfish. You do not love them. Jesus was willing to correct to the point of the crucifixion. He knew that there would be consequences, but he loved us enough to do it. Anyway, rebuking is temporary because the devil never stops trying. Resisting lasts because it makes his trying fruitless. So, for example, when you correct your children, don't ever let your children rule over you. Don't let them do what they want to do. You have to correct your children. But explain to them why they are being corrected. Explain to them you are listening to the devil, to the wrong voice that's making you act like this. I don't want to correct you. I don't want to have to whip you. But there are consequences when you listen to the enemy, and I want to protect you. So if you keep listening and doing this bad thing, you are going to get punished and stick to it because that's where they're going to learn how it really works. Because in the spirit, that's how it happens. When we listen to the devil, God in his mercy allows judgments to come to teach us here that there are consequences in hopes that we learn the truth before we die and face eternal consequences. You whip your kids when they're acting selfish or prideful or rebellion because you don't want them to grow up and go to jail. God corrects us as his children when we're acting selfish and prideful and rebellious because he doesn't want us to go to hell. It's the same thing. Love is correction. And today, as we remember all of the great things that we have to be thankful for, we need to thank the Lord that he loved us enough to be willing to correct us and take all the consequences that that entails. And for the kids in this room who have parents that correct you, you need to respect and love and appreciate your parents for that correction. It's not easy for them. It's not something they want to do. For those who have ministers that are willing to correct you, it's not easy, it's not pleasant, it's not something they want to do, and it's not something they have to do. They are doing it sacrificially, and you need to appreciate that. And for the children, you need to, to receive correction readily because that's how you'll grow the quickest. Because it's not like God hates you. It's not like your authorities hate you. It's not like your parents hate you. They want to do it the easy way. God wants to do it the easy way. But he loves us enough to do it the hard way if that's what it takes. Rebuking the enemy is authoritative. Resisting the enemy is revelatory. We have to take time in the word and with God to learn the truth. The devil will always get over on you if you think you already know. You have to take the time to sit and to learn the truth so he can keep you in a place where you're able to resist the enemy. The ability to rebuke the enemy is an instant gift God-given authority, the ability to resist, however, comes from time spent at the feet of Jesus, so don't forsake it. God trusts those who resist. They are the ones that run the race with endurance. His eyes are ever searching for those that he can trust. There's many verses through the Bible that talk about the seven eyes of the Lord that are always searching through the earth, looking for those who are willing to be submitted to him in all of the areas 
uh, there's verses that tell you that those seven eyes are actually the exact same thing as the seven spirits of God. So what it really means is that the eyes of the Lord are always looking for those who are willing to submit to him in all seven areas that the Holy Spirit influences men. In Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1, we read those. It says, And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his root, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. This is a prophecy talking about Jesus. So in this prophecy talking about Jesus, it's prophesying of when he gets baptized and the Holy Spirit comes and rests upon him. And then it says the Holy Spirit that rests upon him comprises of these seven characteristics of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of the Lord, which is the Spirit of Jesus. The Spirit of wisdom. So we have to be submitted to Jesus' teachings. We have to be submitted to his wisdom above our own wisdom. And to understanding, we can't assume that we understand. We need to seek him for understanding. The spirit of counsel, we need to seek him for counsel. And might, might means strength. We have to seek him for our strength. The spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. We need to have a fear of the Lord. That fear is a fear of the consequences of not trusting the Lord. Not that he's going to whip us, but that things will turn out very badly for us because the enemy will deceive us. The Bible says that Satan was the wisest of all God's creations. Are you one of God's creations? Yes. That means the devil is smarter than you. The devil will deceive you. He will get over on you, but he's not smarter than God. You have to seek God or you will be deceived. And he shall make of him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord. This is talking about Jesus again, remember. He will be a quick study in the fear of the Lord and he shall not judge after his own eyes. He's not going to do what he thinks is right, but he'll do what God says is right. Neither will he reprove after the hearing of his ears. In other words, when he brings correction, it's not going to be after something he heard somebody else say. It's going to be coming directly from God. But with righteousness shall he judge the poor and reprove with equality for the meek of the earth, and he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. Jesus judged with righteous judgment, and we are to do the same according to Scripture, but that means you're not making judgment calls off of what you think is right. That means you're taking the time to fast and to pray and to seek the Lord until he tells you what is right. And then you trust him even if it makes absolutely no sense in the moment. The Lord is continually looking. His eyes are searching through the earth for people like that because that's the ones he can trust with a full measure of his spirit. It's going to be those that he is able to correct. There was a, a time when I was, you know, things were going good and strong and God was giving me instruction and everything seemed right. And then all of a sudden it just seemed like Every time I would do something, I'd go in one direction, God was correcting me. I'd back up, go in the other direction, God was correcting me. I felt like I was going back and forth. I'm like, I don't know what you want. I don't understand. And finally, he showed me in a guitar. He said, no, no, no. It's, it's not that you're falling away. I'm fine-tuning. See, when you start to tune a guitar at first, you put the string on it, you can take big, wide turns, and you can tell that it's out of tune, and you're just moving in the right direction. But when you get real close, it's almost right, but not quite. 
you got to go back and forth with little tiny adjustments until finally you get it just right. And you'll come to a point where God is fine-tuning you because he wants to use you as his instrument. But God's instruments have to be completely in tune and in, in harmony. They can't be coming against each other. The Holy Spirit works decently and in order. They don't work against each other. God wants to fine-tune us. In order to do that, he has to be able to correct us. You want to be used by God? Allow yourself to be corrected by God. When we rebuke the devil, there's instant authority and power in that, and we do that, and I'm not knocking that. But that's kind of like salvation. You release an act of faith and an act of grace comes and moves. But then you have to resist after that because that's like a work of sanctification. That's a process where you have to learn to stand and stop allowing this same stuff to get in so you don't keep going around the same mountain over and over and over again. God will actually show you first through his grace. We see in the story of Elijah, God used him mightily he rebuked the king the queen he called the rains to stop and to come back and all this great and mighty stuff and then when you think oh well he might be about to get you know really famous and get a big church and all this stuff god says go hide yourself by the brook Cherith." god used him in a manner through grace for a season and then pulled him aside in faith to teach him okay it worked let me tell you why let me show you how because of where you're going next you're going to need to resist and not fall to the enemy's tactics. We don't want to keep fighting the same battles over and over again. And God will do this with you. You'll go through battles and you'll be so victorious and it'll be so effortless and so easy. And you'll think, man, I'm amazing. I did this thing. But it wasn't you at all. It was literally like the dad holding the bike while you sit on it and pushing you around and you think you're riding it. But he does want you to learn how to drive the bike. But first, he builds your faith that it can happen. That's the seed of faith that starts out when you're first saved. That's why when people are first saved, you'll see them moving in the miraculous and all kinds of stuff because God gives them that seed of faith. He wants them to believe. But then he wants to teach. So after a while, he starts taking his hands off, and we start falling. And we're like, oh, my gosh, what happened? It's not so easy anymore. No, Daddy's still there. He's just teaching you how to ride the bike. But learn it. Because there's a purpose. He gave you the seed of faith. Now the seed has to grow into a tree so that you can do great and mighty things because he's preparing us to do work in his kingdom. We're not just here to live in this earth. We're here to do eternal work, to rule and reign with Christ. So we all know that God can take over and do things through us, but he doesn't want to have to do that for all eternity. He does that to build our faith so that we can start learning. He wants us to rule and reign with him. We have an eternal purpose. And we have to start thinking beyond what we want right here in this moment and start living for what we can have forever or you're going to miss it. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5, we read this instructions in the New Testament. And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children, my son, despise not the chastening of the Lord. In other words, don't dislike when you are corrected by God, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. Don't give up when he corrects you. For whom the Lord loves, he chastises, he corrects, and scourges every son 
whom he receives. In other words, he whips every son that he receives. If your daddy really loves you, he's going to whip you sometimes because he wants to teach you good things and protect you from bad things. And when you do bad things or listen to the enemy, he's going to try to teach you that. God does the same with us. If you endure the correction, then God dealeth with you as he does with his sons. For what son is he whom the father does not correct? But if you be without correction, wherefore all are partakers, then ye are illegitimate children and not true sons. So if God has never corrected you, then it's because you're not actually his. And that's pretty serious. If a person has never corrected you, then they don't actually love you. They don't really care about you. They really just don't want to be bothered with you. And it breaks my heart when I see parents with children that aren't corrected because I know what it's really saying is, I don't want to be bothered with you. It's very, very selfish. And those kids, 100% of the time, always grow up to know that their parents didn't love them. Because I know too many adults that I knew as kids who lived like that. And they have no respect for their parents or for anyone else because in their heart they know that they really didn't love them. We had very strict parents when we were kids. And we thought those other kids were so blessed. But now we look back and we see all of those kids' lives destroyed and ruins upside down, many of them dead, addictions. And we're all being used mightily in God's kingdom. You will correct your children if you love them. And I'm not just speaking about physical children. I'm talking about disciples also. Because everyone who truly serves the Lord, God will bring people into your life to counsel and to bring forward in their faith. So, and it's hard because sometimes they'll be physically older than you, but maybe they just got saved. And you feel, well, how can I correct this, this older person? But in love and in meekness of heart, we have to respect each other, but we still have to be willing to speak the truth. Our God knows that you really don't love them, and we will be held accountable for it. In fact, the Bible says their blood will be on our hands. We'll be guilty of their damnation. The same thing for children. If God said that we will be held accountable because we didn't speak the truth to strangers, how much more guilt will we hold over our children, which are our greatest disciples? It's a very serious thing. So I want today not only to bring the understanding of this revelation so that we can respect those who are doing it and be more willing to receive it so that we can grow quicker, but I want us to understand the weight that Jesus had to bear because he was willing to correct us and the weight that, that your parents' children bear when they correct you and the weight that ministers bear when they try to lead you into the truth, that we all might be able to receive it more easily. Because God doesn't want to have, just like a parent when they're like, I don't want to have to do this. It's going to hurt me more than it hurts you. I don't want, there's an easy way and there's a hard way. It's like that with God too. And he would rather do it the easy way. But it is love and it is mercy when he has to take the belt off because he's still trying to save us from destruction. Eternal destruction. But if ye be without correction, wherefore all are partakers, then ye are not children. Furthermore, we have had fathers after our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? 
In other words, if we honor our own fathers, we need to honor God even more. For they verily for a few days corrected us after their own pleasure, but God for our profit, that we might be partakers of holiness. When God corrects us, it's because he wants us to partake of not only his holiness, but the rewards of his holiness. He wants to entrust us with great and mighty things, but he can't entrust us if he can't correct us because we will misuse those things. In fact, the enemy will use God's things through us if we don't learn to listen. Now, no chastisement or correction for the present seems to be joyous, but grievous. Nobody likes being corrected. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruits of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. We started off talking about deliverance. There is an exorcism to be had in a butt whipping. It says that it produces the peaceable fruits of righteousness when you are exercised thereby. Now, the fruits of righteousness is the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, gentleness, kind. And the thing of the matter is, is whether it's God to us or us to our children, it's really about recognizing the bad character of the enemy. And when we see signs of that character, there has to be consequences so that they understand not to listen to the Spirit that is leading them to do it. So God allows us to suffer consequences. This happens nationally. When nations begin to listen to the leading of the enemy, God allows national consequences. That's what national judgments are. He's trying to get them to stop listening to these evil spirits so that they might repent, turn back to the truth, be saved before the people die and go to hell and nothing else can be changed. It's still a mercy. Whereof... Lift up then your hands which hang down and your feeble knees. In other words, stop pouting. My sister, when we were little kids, I won't tell y'all which one, but it's not me. (laughs) She would pout so bad. Daddy would tell her, you're going to trip over that lip. That's what it's saying. Straighten up. Stop pouting. You got corrected. It's all right. I love you. Take your lick. Come on, get back in the seat. Let's start learning again. Wherefore, lift up your hands which hang down and your feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. All right, in other words, don't hold on to the offense and and hold a grudge and become more prideful or more hardened or pout because you were corrected. But instead, allow the correction to bring healing and strengthening. Follow peace with all men, and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. And this is the key to the whole thing. He said that if you're willing to receive correction, it's to lead you into being partakers of God's holiness that you might produce the peaceable fruits of righteousness. And then right here in this last verse, he tells us why he desires so much. Because without holiness, no man can see the Lord. You cannot get to heaven. That's why he takes it so serious. And every parent knows that they love their children and they want them to be with them and they don't want anything to cause eternal separation. That's why they correct them because they don't want them going to jail or doing something that might cause them to get killed. God does the same thing because he doesn't want us going to hell. He is trying to help us. So understand when correction comes, don't let it make you hard. Don't let it make you discouraged. Don't let it make you prideful. Submit to it, learn and grow and let him be able to use you and prepare you to do great things in the kingdom. Be thankful for correction. Selfless love corrects. 
You know, God was telling me one time to go tell somebody something. Give them a word of correction. Tell them the Bible says this and you need to stop doing that. I didn't want to do it. I knew they wouldn't want to hear it. They wouldn't want to receive it. And everybody would probably hate me for it. And I'm like, oh, but Lord, I don't want to offend them. And God said, no, you're not worried about offending them. It's you that doesn't want to get offended. It's not selflessness that's keeping you back. It's selfishness because you know that when they reject or don't hear what you want to say, they're going to get angry at you, and that's going to be offensive to you. So we tell ourselves, oh, no, we're, we're going to tolerate this and that because we don't want to offend them because we're so loving and selfless. No, that is absolutely selfish because if you know that sin is going to send them to hell, then you will be willing to make them mad at you in order to try to save them. If there is a child walking out onto a busy highway with traffic coming, it doesn't matter if they kick or scratch or bite or fuss at you for grabbing them. You still run out and do it because you're going to save them. And that's what being an evangelist really is. That's what ministry really is. If you've ever tried to help a wounded dog, you've probably gotten bit. And there's a lot of wounded people out there that we try to help, and in the process, they're biting. That's ministry. It's going to happen. But still love them enough to do it. I think most of us would probably take the bite from the dog to save the dog before we would do it to help a person. And that's sad. That was Jonah's problem. He didn't have a heart. And it's easy to get hard-hearted because we've all been wounded by the people that don't want to take correction and so we want to give up on them, but we can't. We can't. Proverbs 13, 24 says this, He that spareth his rod hateth his son, but he that loveth him corrects him often. Right? Now, only the truth can set us free. Right? We have to be saved by faith. Faith is trust, believing what God teaches us what Jesus came to endorse to us. That means we don't get to pick and choose what we believe from the Bible. We have to believe all of it, right? We have to believe Jesus to be saved. Jesus is the word made flesh. So if we don't believe in Jesus, who he was, what he did, then we don't believe the word because it prophesied it. And if we don't believe the word, then we don't believe Jesus because he was the manifestation of it. You cannot say, I believe in Jesus, but I don't believe in the Bible. They are one and the same. So we have to come to a place where we're willing to lay down everything that we think we know and believe everything that God said, and then we can be saved. If we choose not to believe any part of Scripture, we are not saved. We cannot be, by definition, because you are not putting your trust in Jesus, who is the Word. That means in every area, in how we raise our children, in how we conduct our churches, in how we, we live our lives, in whatever God teaches us to do, Every single day, it is that important. Now, when we first get saved, we don't know much, and God knows that. He has great mercy, and he begins to teach us. But as he comes to show us things in the Scripture, we have to submit to it. Because if we choose to say, no, I don't think so, I don't believe, believe it like that, I'm going to do it this way, that's it. You have done just exactly what Adam and Eve did in the beginning. God spoke to them. They believed and agreed what he said. Then the devil came and said something a little different, and said, no, why don't you believe it like this? And they said, you know what? I think I agree with what you said more. So when they did that, what they were really saying is, I don't trust what God said. I trust what you said. And just like that, they fell from grace, and that's how it happens even today. We choose to trust. That's why we're saved by faith. Faith is not just believing something. You can have faith in, in Pharaoh. You can have faith in money. You can have faith in witches. You can have faith in a lot of stuff if you're just believing something. Faith is trust. 
You're only saved by trusting God, what he said, all of it. So that means we don't get to make our own rules. We don't get to decide how we're going to govern our church or our family or our lives. That means we come to him, we submit, we seek him for his wisdom, and when he reveals it to us, we live it. That's what he is searching for. That is someone who is submitted in all seven areas of the Holy Spirit. Corrections come when we begin to get off course. Even Jesus had to learn through suffering. We mentioned it earlier in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8. It says, Though he were a son, speaking of Jesus, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. Remember in the previous passage we read, that was Old Testament, it was prophesying that God would make him a quick learner to have the fear of the Lord because of the things that he would suffer. In the New Testament, it's saying that even since a child, early on, he learned quick to be obedient to God because of the things that he suffered. And being made perfect through this, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him, called of God, a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Jesus became who he is, not just by divine will. It was because God fathered him. He corrected him. He suffered things just like we do. It says that he is a priest just like us. He went through things like we go through. He understands. So how much more are we needing to be willing to endure the correction of God? directly from him in the prayer closet because he'll show us us if we let him through the word because the word is a mirror and sometimes through the brethren because it's easier for other people to see what's on us than for us to see what's on ourselves so God in his love and his mercy wants to get us into that place where we can rule and reign with Christ but we've got to let him correct us You can't do it your own way and expect it to work out. That is actually the very definition of pride. Remember, Satan fell because of pride. Man fell because of pride. And ultimately, it came back to them thinking that they could do something contrary to the word of God and it would turn out all right. Anytime we think I can do it a different way and it's going to be okay, that is pride. It will not be okay. There was a priest in the Old Testament who God kept warning to deal with his children and he wouldn't do it. Not only did he end up dying, his children ended up dying, and curses ended up being on his children for five generations because he taught them not to reverence the Word of God by letting them get away with things that were contrary to the Word of God. So if you think about it, in a family, there's usually four or five generations alive at one time. So every generation that witnessed that father allowing that to happen were all influenced by it, and they all suffered the same consequences. So, but then again, Abraham, whose father was an idol maker, he chose to trust God and to do things God's way. And so not only was he blessed, but thousands of his generations and us through him were blessed. So it's very important and very serious. And don't let the culture bully you into thinking you can do it in that way or not doing it. I I hear parents all the time say, oh, CPS is going to come or they're going to call the cops on me or they're going to do that. You better love your child enough to save their soul from hell even if CPS gets called on you. And I'm not talking about abusing your children. You love your children just like God loves us and he does not abuse us. He doesn't go above and beyond what is necessary. But he is willing to suffer consequences if he has to to correct us. And that's how we have to be with our disciples and with our children. If we lose a whole congregation because we stood for the truth, but one gets saved, it's worth it. 
Because if you didn't do it, what would have happened? The whole congregation plus that one would have went to hell. It's not worth it. You have to do it God's way for it to turn out okay. And God says to correct our children, our disciples, and to receive correction ourselves in order to grow quickly and to learn how to resist the enemy. So teach consequences and be consistent. Learn consequences and be productive. The best way I can really kind of prove this biblical principle is right here in this church. I mentioned it early. Our parents were very strict. Mom was a disciplinarian. The Italian came out in her. That, that Italian Roman came out and, and she, she could crucify you, man. But I can say that, of, like I said earlier, our co- some cousins and friends and things that their parents didn't, didn't tend to them, didn't correct them, you know. Some of them are dead. Some of them are in jail. Most of them's lives are really messed up. I can say in Danny's family, the children that were raised with Mr. Dan and Miss Gail the longest were the ones that turned out the best because there was discipline. Y'all all know Danny's story. He, he rebelled for a while, but he came back. Heather was out longer, but she came back. The older sister we're still praying for, but she really wasn't raised under their house. She was raised with the mom, and there was no discipline. There was no correction. And that shows you how these things turn out in your children's lives and how important it is. The more correction you're under, the better you're going to turn out the less troubles you're going to have in your life. The Bible says that the first commandment with promise is to honor your parents. In other words, receive the correction. And the promise is not only that you'll live a longer life, but that things will go well for you. Things will not go well for you if you cannot receive correction if you don't honor your parents. So parents, if you want your children's lives to go better, correct more often. If you want your life to go better, be willing to receive correction. Now, in the moment, no kid wants to be corrected. But the fruits are there. No tree wants to be pruned. It about kills the tree when it's pruned. And when you correct your kids, they, they're going to think they're dying. They're dying, right? It's, just take the sucker away, and it's like, oh, no, you cut me to the root. I'm dead. They're not going to die. The tree's not going to die. It will produce more fruit. The Oakland kids, you know, Wayne and Monique's kids, you know, y'all, you look at the kids in the church that, that you, you see, oh, I want my kids to be like that, and you'll see that their parents are disciplinarian. Yeah. Wayne and Monique are strict with their kids. All of the leadership in the church now are from kids whose parents were very strict. They were willing to correct, and it taught them to listen to the right voices and that there were consequences of not listening to the right voice. Even in the back with the little kids in the Sunday school room, when I have to correct them or fuss at them for something, I take them aside first and I explain to them, you're listening to the devil. That's the devil making you hit so-and-so or making you bite or making you act up like that or making you you know, proud or boastful, whatever they're doing. That's the devil doing, I don't want to have to correct you. I don't want to have to take you out of the class. But if you keep listening, there's consequences. All you have to do is tell the devil no and this won't happen. And you know what? They get it. It's usually only one or two times I have to really explain that to them before they start changing. And you actually can see the spirit changing. Like when a kid first comes in, 
off the streets a lot. They come in with family stuff. And you can see as they start to get it to not listen to those spirits. So explain to your children that we listen to God, that we do what's right, that we obey the truth, and that when they're not doing what's right, they're actually listening to the devil. So that they begin to learn that there's consequences and begin to resist, even from an early age, its influence. Because that's important. Those in the church who have had the strictest parents usually come the most productive adults and leaders in their generation. You can see this truth in action right here in this ministry. People don't think that they need to change, but others can see the character traits in you that will destroy you, especially if they know the downfalls of your family character traits. When you have a church, like we've been in this church for three generations, going on four generations now. So I can see generationally character traits. There are things that are manifesting in children that I saw their parents dealing with or their grandparents dealing with. Those are influences of a spirit. For that to be broken, yes, we bind and rebuke and we take authority, but they need to learn to resist it. They need to be explained to them, this is the enemy. This uh, addiction, this gluttony, this excess, this pride, this rebellion, whatever that thing is that keeps manifesting through the family lines, they need to understand, this is something you need to start resisting or it's going to turn into something further down the road. And when you recognize it, be willing to instruct. God does the same thing with us because he knows the character traits. That's what the fruits of the Spirit are. People always say, oh, everybody's children of God. We're all God's children. No, that's not true. The truth is in the Word. The Bible says that we were the children of Satan until we get adopted in to the family of God. He says you're either the child of God or the child of the devil, right? So until we're saved and cleansed and brought into the family of God, then we're not God's children. We're actually the children of Satan. We're going to have his character traits. But God knows where that will lead. So he's going to point those things out to you if you let him. And then you have a choice to prune that branch, to cut off that fruit, and to get connected to him, to get adopted in, to become part of that family and start learning and start to change. What happens if you refuse to change? He says, I will cut you off and I will cast you out. You can't be part of the tree if you continue to produce the old fruit. It's the same thing with the church. We want everybody to get grafted in. We want everybody to become part of the family. We want everybody to learn to change and start drawing from that root and produce the good fruit. But if someone is consistent and persistent that they will not and they just want to stay the same way and keep producing that bad fruit and poisoning people around them, there comes a point where sometimes you just got to cut them off. Hey, look, not picking you up no more. Hey, look, you can't come no more. And that's not something we take lightly, but it's better to protect the whole vineyard than to let one diseased fruit pollute. So those things are hard choices, but sometimes they have to be made. In fact, the Bible tells us that if the tree doesn't produce fruit after a certain time, cut it off and cast it out. Don't keep it in your vineyard because old rotten diseased trees are just going to disease those around it. So there is wisdom in who you hang out with. There is wisdom in who's in your life. There's wisdom in who you 
submit to, who you listen to. But there is great wisdom in receiving correction. And there is a greater wisdom in seeking it from the Lord yourself every day. When my and my husband first got married, we butted heads a lot, as most people do when they first get married, especially when you get married older, because you're pretty set in your ways. So what we started doing early on was we would read marriage devotions before bed every night. I'd read one and he'd read one. I'd read it out loud to him. He'd read one out loud to me. So that way, usually whatever we were in a disagreement about during the day, God would fuss at me through one of them and fuss at him through one of them. When you're correcting each other, sometimes you can get kind of hard-hearted, but when you know God is correcting you, you just got to deal with it. You just got to submit to it. So it's important to receive correction from each other because that is how you grow quicker. But it is good to seek the Lord for the correction because it is easier to receive it straight from God than from other people. And you will grow fast if you're willing to seek the Lord. He says that without faith, it's impossible to please me. Those who come to me need to believe that I am God and that I am a rewarder of those that diligently seek me. So seek him diligently and he will grow you exponentially. God wants to deal with those character traits in us. Let him correct what is wrong. It might be humbling and unpleasant in the moment, but he wants what is the best for you in the end. Trust him because that's what faith really is. So our closing point today in this unusual message, you know, Pastor Daniel was supposed to preach. He got sick last night, so this was kind of spur of the moment, but the Lord had already given me this. So I know this is what he wanted to speak. I want you to think about this. I want you to think about all the super mega rich people, the professionals in the business world, the athletes, those that work for the Olympics and and all these big leagues, they pay a lot of money for coaches and for trainers so they can win. So think about it. What they're actually paying for is correction. The people with the most success, the most money, the most everything are paying money for people that are willing to correct them because they want to win. So if someone is willing to do it for you for free, receive it as a gift and be grateful for it. They're trying to help you win. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24, it says, Do you not know that they which run in a race run all, but not every one of them receives the prize? Now Paul is talking about our race of faith here. He's talking about our salvation. He's saying not everybody who claims the name of Jesus and begins this walk of faith is actually going to make it to the end. They're not going to win. And every man that strives for the mastery is tempered in all things. Those who are striving to be the best are corrected and perfected. They're made better through the process that, that is difficult, like training for an Olympics or for sports or something. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we, an incorruptible. So if those that are training for sports are so willing to be corrected and to be tempered because they want to win, then we ought to have that same drive for us and for our children. Jesus tells us in Revelations 3.11, Behold, I come quickly, hold fast that which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. 
The crown he's talking about is the reward that Paul was talking about in the other passage. That's what we get at the end of our race if we finish it, if we win. Jesus warns us, you can lose it. So be willing to be corrected because God is trying to make sure that you win. He wants you to win. In fact, Jesus, when he said this, had just corrected the seven churches of Asia. He corrected all of these churches, and at the end of it, he tells them, I'm I'm doing this because you might lose your crown. Receive the correction, get it right. He then tells them not to let anyone steal their prize, their crown, by stealing away their correction. Let the word of God and the conviction of the Holy Spirit correct and temper you so that you can run the race with endurance and perfection and win the crowns that God has for you in heaven. If you reject correction, and if you get nothing else out of this message, get this. If you reject correction, you are rejecting heaven because you will not make it. God is trying to keep us on the straight and narrow path. And in that straight and narrow path, he's trying to make sure we make it to the end because God wants you to win. He doesn't hate you. He's not mad at you. He's not trying to run you off. He's trying to help you win. So receive it and be grateful to him that he was willing and be grateful to those that are willing to do it through you and be willing to do it yourself so that at the end on that final day, somebody else can be there saying, thank you. I made it because you were willing to tell me the truth because you were willing to correct me when I was getting off of the straight and narrow path. So Lord, today as we come to a close with this word that you have given, Lord, today as we transition into our fellowship of thanksgiving, we give you thanks that you were willing to suffer, that you were willing to be despised and rejected, cursed, ridiculed, beat, spit upon, cut open, torn up by whips and nails, nailed to a cross, that you were willing to be shamed and stripped before all men, Lord, that you were still willing to speak the truth to us because you loved us. Let us be willing to cherish that truth, to read it every day, to consume it, to let it change us. We cannot change the Word of God. We have to let the Word of God change us. Lord, we thank you for the scars. We thank you that you were willing We thank you, Lord, when we look at all that the word says that you did for us, that it was a demonstration of love. And we ask you to give us the power and the strength to be that to our children, to our disciples, to a world that thinks that love is letting them have whatever they want, even if it destroys them. No, that is self-love. That is absolute selfishness. Lord, help us to raise up a generation that understands that, that understands that when somebody really loves them, they're going to try to save them from the consequences of their own wrong decisions. Oh, Lord, help us to be good representatives of your word, your message, and your demonstration. This message was brought to you by HOWC Ministries. To learn more about our ministries, please visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com.